Right. All right. So the first deal, my first kind of big deal, I had to come up with $5 million. Um, at that particular point in time, uh, that was well above, like I had purchased a million dollar property, but I've never done anything like 5 million. So it was a fear, um, in terms of, can I really do it? And I had this thing under contract and the seller was, he was going to hold me to every, I had to put up some of my own money. And that's the other thing being a developer. A lot of it is, you know, this game is risk. So when I basically got a $5 million apartment complex under contract, um, you know, I had like 30 days to perform and I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to come up with the money, but in the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having A. Donahue Baker with me today. He's up in Jersey, man. How are things? You're close to the epicenter, man. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely uh, not far from the epicenter in Jersey, uh, so it's really serious. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we are virtually on lockdown. So I've been basically practicing social distancing for the past four weeks, and a uh, little, little cabin fever going on right here, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, everybody in my immediate family is good. I do know three people that, that did lose their, lose their battle with COVID, so uh stay safe out there definitely stay safe ouch that's uh that's no fun for the head close to home and just in general to see people suffering um but i think that'll come back up in our conversation a little bit later so if you would do me a favor and let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you sure i'm a donahue baker you can find me at all handles just like that a donahue baker donahue is d-o-n-a-h-u-e a. Donahue Baker on all handles, uh, IG, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> all the platforms. Awesome. And he got, not everybody can get that done. I've seen some people with some really tight brands and they weren't able to get the same handles on everyone. So <laughs> the trading, he's got this thing. Yeah. So now that we got that out the way, let's dive into this story, man. Give us a little bit about your background and what you're working on now. Sure. Well, I'm a real estate developer. Um, basically, what I my background is I started in the music industry as a music producer. Um, I produced, I'm actually a Grammy-nominated music producer. So uh, my first music industry check, I took that and purchased real estate. And from there on, I've been scaling, doubling, uh, buying more and more units. Right now, I own over 500 residential and commercial units and by the end of next year i have enough deals in the pipeline it should bring me over a thousand units by the end of next year and i saw your i saw i saw your thing that you're going 2028 you can hit that next year too man so i, I know you do i know you're doing big things man so we we go we go talk about that offline 
yeah. So, yeah. A. Donahue reached out via Facebook and was laying the blueprint for me. I was sitting there thinking, if this is the real deal, life's about to change. And so, Absolutely. you did the music thing, made the transition. You got the fast money in music. Now you're playing the long game with real estate. How does one build a 500-unit portfolio? Talk to me about one, that. One deal at a time, brother. One deal at a time. So I started uh, years ago doing what most people do today, which is house hack. Or basically, before it was house hacking, I basically bought a duplex, lived in one side, and rented out the other. And my whole motivation, my passion for doing that is I grew up in affordable housing and affordable housing projects. Now, a lot of that was, was okay. Yep. So I started, I grew up in affordable housing and now I own affordable housing projects. But being close to New York City, when I was a, a young lad, a, a little guy, used to, my parents used to take me over to New York City and I used to see homeless people sleeping on the street. If you've ever been to New York, that's, you know, it's, it's all over, right? So I don't know what it was, but growing up, I was just like, I never wanted to be homeless. And it was always this fear that, uh, you know, I can be homeless if I, if I make a couple wrong moves or a couple wrong turns. So I did what most people, you know, my parents told me stay away from drugs and all that. So I did all that, stayed away from the drugs. But the other thing, people just make bad decisions and they end up homeless. So I always, you know, my first multifamily, what, the reason why I did that was because I wanted to remove the fear of being homeless. And once I removed that fear, it just opened my mind to do so much more. Wow. Okay. So you go through the system. Somewhere I saw you're a CPA. So I am. How, how, did, yeah. how did you do that? And like music, like, come on, put the pieces together for me. You leave all it. right. So here, so here you go. So I basically was doing music all my life. Um, right up until high school, I went to Georgetown University in DC. So I was an accounting major in Georgetown. So um, left Georgetown and was really wanted to pursue my life as a music industry producer. That's really what I wanted to do. Now the music industry, that money is like this. It goes up and down, up and down, get paid. Royalties come twice a year, every six months. You get your advance fee. Somehow when you're, when you're, when you're young and you just get a big check, that money goes quick. So that's basically, I had a label deal on Sony. My label got dropped and I didn't know what my next move was. At that particular point, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my MBA. And then that led to starting a CPA firm, which I worked two years. I worked for a bigger practice. And then I started my own firm after working two years in the public sector. So, so that's how the CPA stuff ended up. Now, as a CPA, I've definitely worked and found definite big tricks on how I could save in taxes just by looking at other people and strategies and studying IRS codes, finding out about all types of little tricks and tools that I can use along the way to build generational wealth. And they've all helped helped me kind of climb up the ladder. And I've used every single last one of them. Now, this part is amazing, right? So you, you weren't in work for somebody else and then you decided that you had to leave that certainty of a paycheck behind to go do yes. your own thing. So yes. Tell me about what was pulling on you. What called you out of, you know, being just a, a nine to fiver and going to do your own thing? 
Well, for me personally, it was like I always was involved in, in real estate, right? So when I, when I was in the music industry, when I bought that duplex, living in one side, running out the other, my, my goal is just to, just to say, all right, I'm never going to be homeless. Then once I did that, it was like, well, you know, let me try to make some more money. And I bought some more. And then I had passive income coming in. When I started to work, I was like, you know what? I still can work and use the W-2 income that, to, to get more loans. So it just became when I started to get five, six, seven mortgages on my personal credit, it just became the thing to do. So then my goal at that point shifted to let me get enough passive income that it would supplant my active income. You know, and then I started to get creative of how I could, you know, leverage money or other people's money to, to basically grow and grow that portfolio. So when you actually left for the CPA firm that you were working for, was that the first time you were called to go do your own thing or had you refused the time before to? No, no. Um, I've been worked. First of all, when the first recession happened, I was also the victim of a layoff at one point. So when I went back, I was like, you know what? There's got to be a better way. So, you know, I, it was it was it was a little like hiccup in there. You know, things got a little tough, but I figured it out. And, and basically it was like, you know what? I, I had this entrepreneurial spirit and I knew that I was really good with the clients because I really cared about my clients. And, you know, I just felt it, as though that's where I needed to go. So I made the journey to start my own firm just based on the relationships, people calling me up, my circle of friends and family. Like I started to represent athletes, um, other real estate developers, other people that were doing it in real estate. So, um, so it, just was, it was like a network had built and gradually I just started to get more and more clients. So, and then you built it up and built it up. Who helped you along the way on this journey, man? Do you do this all by yourself? The, the practice started by myself. Now, I had two workers, two people that, uh, but I didn't have partners, but I had two employees that really were instrumental in kind of getting, getting the ball moving, so to speak. So that, that's how that practice kind of, you know, took off. It was just us three, you know, three of us, and we would just grind it out. Every tax season, grind it out, and uh, we'll handle all the work. I mean, sometimes we put in 80 hours a week uh, during the tax season. The quality of life, was bad, very bad. <laughs> Wait, so I've always wondered this. So what does an accountant do after April 15th? Take a vacation. <laughs> so I'm, all the greatest places in the world happen around this time of year. Like after tax season, go away for like two weeks. Unheard of, you know. So my, all my vacations were around that time. So, you know, you work so hard, but you realize the weather starts to get good. Spring is, springs has sprung and we're headed for summer, take a two-week vacation. Wow. Yeah. All right. And so you're going through this. I imagine it wasn't all, you know, sugar dumplings and clouds. Like, there had to be some times where you're like, why in the world am I struggling through this? Why am I fighting through this? What made you keep going? Uh, just, you know, at that particular point in time, I was so uh, focused on getting my time back. So it was like, you know, I'm working during the tax season. My friends wouldn't see me at all for like a three-month window. 
So I'm just like, you know, it's three months. Most people are like, I can do three months. But, you know, there's lots of birthdays that come. You get invited out. You get invited to trips. And you're like, I can't go because I got to work. I got to be here working. The motivation was, look, I really needed to get my time back. And, the, you know, the, the, the options, the ability to, to scale was right in front of my face. You know, just buying apartment complexes, buying multifamily units just were right in front of my face. So I took advantage. Wow. So were there any challenges along the way? That were- Lots of challenges. There was challenges of getting money for deals, challenges of raising money for deals, challenges of um, just finding properties. And I basically met every single challenge through A-B testing, so to speak. I basically figured out, well, that doesn't work. Everyone is doing this. Let me do that. Um, this is not where you want to find properties, MLS. But, you know, different ways to kind of get get to where I needed to go. I think one of my biggest struggles, so I'm going to be selfish. Now I got you on the line. Yeah. The finding money piece, like how did you refine that process? I assume people trust you because, hey, you're an accountant. You know how to do the books. But what is it that makes a person actually write the check? Because there's a whole lot of people who pretend to have a lot of money. Right. I write that check and then. Right. All of well, no, so, so when I used to do a syndication, uh, strategy when I used to use the syndication strategy is really about a deal, right? When you find a deal, the money will come, and and that's the bottom line. So when I did a syndication deal, I found a value add opportunity that literally I purchased for fifty cents on the dollar. Now anybody that had money would be a fool to not be a part of that deal, you know. So it was, it was literally I've raised a, 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 over a million dollars in less than a week. In a week? In a week. So, but you've got to know the people that actually have the money to be able to write the check. I do. I do. And that space. Because I think that is a thing that most people who want to raise money don't have have access to that network, those folks that are, you know, wealthy. So let's talk about that if you don't mind. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you strike me as an expert networker, man. So talk to me about how you get in those rooms and make those connections where you know, people trust you with what a lot of people feel like is their most valuable resource. Right. So the first, my syndication raise was, was really 90% of them were clients. So we're talking about people that knew me for quite a long time, right? Um, maybe some of them over a seven, eight year period, right? So along the way, you know, there's, there's equity that's built up there, right? So, and then I'm active, so I'm out in my local RIA, I'm out doing events, um, I'm out speaking, I'm on stage, um, you know, social media, whatever. I'm active, I'm engaged, I'm at the top of their mind. Uh, They see what I'm doing, they see my lifestyle, they see how well I'm doing, they see that I've left corporate America, they see that I've accomplished a lot of things that people are looking to accomplish, right? So that's, that's one thing, it's like results. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. It's like results matter. People talk, talk, talk. 
But when you have the results and you have a proven track record and you can say, well, look, I've made this much money here. I have this right here to prove it. You know, it matters. It's, that's, that's the equity that you have. It matters. So that's what, you, you know, if you just keep doing what you're doing, you have like a 90 unit, right? No. So we've got 90 in total spread across five different addresses. Okay. Okay. Well, the bottom line is that's significant. You know, most of the people in that space haven't even done that, you know, and and, uh, most of the people in that space have really good jobs. So I tell, so if I can give you some advice, my advice is, and I used to call them thousandaires, right? Thousandaires are people that have made a hundred thousand dollars or can make a hundred thousand dollars or have the skills to make a hundred thousand dollars on an annual basis. So if you say 10,000 heirs, you got a, a net worth of a million dollars. So if you know you have uh, 50,000 heirs, right? 50 people and $100,000 salary, you know, you're at that range where you're not rich, but $100,000, yeah, you know, if you're making that on an annual basis, as long as you don't have five children, you know, uh, not, I, I love kids, but I have to say this all the time. Kids are expensive, man, so, <laughs> so they take a lot of money. But I will tell you that, you know, that is enough for where you, they can make a significant investment and, 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 and that can help you along your syndication. The other thing too is don't underestimate the power of a 401k. You know, the, the, the funds, if you, can, if you can show your track record as a real estate investor lined up to the personal portfolio of, you know, your friend or your family member that's in the stock market and swears by the stocks, and you could do a, a five-year five projection, you're going to blow them out the water. Because everyone wants to make, uh, you know, especially the 401k, when you get somebody that, you know, has a long number of years to retirement, what better way to have an asset that you can force appreciate and manipulate and, you know, grow and go there and watch the tenants and fix up the roof and do other things that's going to add value. You can't do that. You can't call up Apple and say, you know what, I need you to, <laughs> you know, some, do some force appreciation this quarter because I need to retire. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, you just have to compare the, the landscape of what's out there and make a convincing argument. Without question, without question. And so you were running through those accomplishments and you, you said them pretty nonchalant. I feel like a book's got to be on the way. Somebody's got to yeah, a book is on the way, but the book is not going to be about me. The book is going to be about people and how to create generational wealth. So I wrote the book. The book is called Generational Wealth. That's the key. It's literally a roadmap, the mentality you should have to go about building generational wealth. And my goal is to get the book out there. Um, really, for your audience, I'm going to eventually be selling the book just $15 on Amazon. But for your audience, I would love to give the book away absolutely free. All they would have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, either um, go, to, go to the Facebook group and, and the book will be given out there. And that's it. Awesome. Awesome. We'll get that linked up in the show notes. Yeah. And so everybody can take advantage of that, regardless of which platform they're consuming the content on. So, I mean, let me go back to kind of the storyline. I don't want to get too far off path. So. Were there any fears along the way that you had to deal with? Like a big one? Like what was the biggest one? Um, at one point, though, because, I mean, I had fears you, every step of the way. I already told you about the first fear of buying the first house. 
the homelessness, but every step of the way, yeah, there is fears. So, um, I mean, at this, you're saying at this stage or, or in other stages? Well, I mean, you're still developing. So, I mean, just the uncertainty is going to be the issue now, but I really want to get to something that you were scared of and you come through it and talk about how you came through dealing right. Because fear can paralyze people. Or Right. All right. So the first deal, my first kind of big deal, I had to come up with $5 million. Um, at that particular point in time, uh, that was well above, like I had purchased a million dollar property, but I've never done anything like $5 million. So it was a fear um, in terms of, can I really do it? And I had this thing under contract. And the seller was, he was going to hold me to every, I had to put up some of my own money. And that's the other thing, being a developer, a lot of it is, you know, this game is risk. So when I basically got a $5 million apartment complex under contract, um, you know, I had like 30 days to perform. And I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to come up with the money, but syndication in a week, <laughs> that was the deal I was telling you about. I, did, I completed my syndication in one week, got this deal done. And it, it, was, it really was one of the cornerstone pieces um, to my career because it propelled me on to do like, you know, once I, once I realized I can do five, then why can't I do 10? Why can't I do 20 million? So that's, that's really, it's just numbers. They're just zeros. So, and what I realized too is it's actually easier to get money for a $10 million deal than it is to get money for a one or $2 million deal. It's facts. It's a real thing, especially after you've created a system to actually... Correct. Especially when you have a track record and you can go back and say, look, we've done this, this, this. It's the natural progression. So right now, and because of that, and because I learned that, that's why I don't do syndications. Because with the syndication deal, you just have a whole bunch of partners. And it's just like, everybody is just like, we want to do this, we want to do this. Or I need some money this, this year because this. So I have to take, you know, it's just too much, right? It becomes a hassle. It's not a pleasurable experience post-close. Everyone's excited when we close and everything like that, but after close, it's not the best experience. So going forward, I only want to do uh, joint ventures, and, and that's basically where I am. So talk to me about that. So what does a joint venture look like for you in case people are trying to figure out how to work with A. Donahue? Right. So you're gonna, a lot of people don't grasp it, but I do joint ventures where I bring 100% of the funding to the table, right? So I fund deal 100% based on the value that the person, the deal that the person is bringing to me, we work out a percentage, an equity split, so to speak. And that's, that's really the extent of it. Wow. So if you have the deal, I'll fund all of it <laughs> and we'll work out an equity split and that's how we'll do the deal. That takes a lot of trust. It does, but understand, if I'm bringing 100% of the funding to the deal, I have to have a, a majority of the deal. That's just what it is, because my name is gonna be on the guarantors. Everything that goes forth, forth that's the structure. So, so as far as the trust aspect is concerned, yes, it is a certain level of trust. That's why you have to, you know, you don't just jump into a, 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 a partnership that's going to tie you in for 10 years with somebody you don't know. So there's a period of vetting. There's a period of due diligence that goes on. Um, and, and, you know, I would basically look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. But 
um, somebody that has my mindset, somebody that's interested in impacting the community, building generational wealth, and showing others how to do it, I would love to partner with, with a person like that. Are you, what's the size deals you're looking to do? There is no size limit. I don't do, um, I don't do anything below 50 units right now. Yeah. Um, but I will do below 50 units if it's in a market that I already have a presence, right? So the reason why is because uh, the business model allows me to develop economies of scale with my current property management uh, and, I, and I can float them uh, like that. So, so I'm in three markets, real simple. I'm in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm in the state of New Jersey. So uh, you know, any one of those markets, I'm able to do something below 50, but if I'm not in there and you have something, then it has to be 50 units or more so that the business model can, can work. Awesome, 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 awesome. I love what I'm hearing here, man. So let's jump into, you know, kind of the significance part of the conversation. And so, you know, you've made a huge transition. Like you, you mentioned growing up in government housing, going to college at Georgetown, going to corporate world, starting your own thing. Now you're doing real estate full time. I was reading through your bio. You've got a fund put together. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that you meet that have that experience. And so, you know, if you're not willing to do the biography or the autobiography, I'm asking you to do it now. <laughs> story, right? Um, when you're in this place now, you look back across life, like what's the biggest difference in your approach to life now than, you know, five, 10, maybe even 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest difference is, is legacy, right? So um, you get to a certain point in life where you start to think about your, and really what we're going through right now, right? Any one of us could, could not be here tomorrow, right? So what I think about is uh, my, my, my child, my son. I have a son. His name is Legacy, by the way. Um, but th that's, the, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about my legacy, and I'm thinking about um, what, you know, what is the world going to be like when he's an adult? You know, I don't want him to have to go through what I went through. So that, that's like in forefront of my mind is, is, you know, building something that I can pass on. You know, that's why I'm not selling my portfolio. That's why I'm cash flowing it. That's why I'm not doing any other of the different trades, the wholesaling, the flipping and anything. I could do that. I've probably done, dabbled in a little bit of that earlier on, but it's really all about building cash flow, building generational wealth and having systems in place that allow me to scale the business. And I mean, that's a beautiful approach to life. And I guess the next question I would ask is like, with that perspective, what are you most grateful for? I'm just, I'm just grateful to be here in a position where I control my time. I don't have to punch a clock. Um, I can do what my God given talents allow me to do. Um, it's, it's, it's hurtful in a sense of just being confined when you, you know, you'd like to be around people and, you know, we're, we're kind of, we have to be quarantined right now. So it's painful being in a house sometimes. Sometimes I just get in the car and just drive. But um, the fact of the matter is you want to be safe and you want to make sure that um, you don't bring any harm into your home because, you know, that's your family, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and that's really 
you know, that's where my mind is right now. And, uh, and, and as I continue to do it, I really take pride in what we provide. Like as a landlord, the biggest service that we can provide and give to someone is giving them a nice place to live. You know, and in the sector that I'm in, which is affordable housing, like I take great pride in, in, in providing housing that people can depend on and know that if anything should go wrong, they're going to have, I'm going to be right there with them. You know? Awesome. What dream are you most focused on catching next? Well, I built one, one of the key things that I'm looking to do is build a community of developers, real estate developers. I want to empower people to wherever city, whatever city you're in, what I want you to do is find a need in your community, whether it's student housing, could be affordable housing, could be veteran housing, could be senior housing, could be any need, you know, could be need of a commercial space, whatever it is. As long as it's a viable product, I want to empower you to be a voice in your local community and eventually nationwide. I want to have a nationwide community of developers that we can go in and have some type of political exertion of power because I say that because there's a town right here in New Jersey that has developers coming in and the developers are building and building and gentrification is taking place and there's no voice with the community. And it's to me, it's immoral when you can develop and build when you don't have a voice uh, in the community, you know, and that's just, that's just where, that's just what's happening where I'm at. You know, as blatant as it, like gentrification is an issue. You can't stop gentrification and I'm not trying to stop it, but we need to have a voice so that we can have an impact. And in, in where I live and where I have a presence, I make sure that I know my mayor, I know my council people. I have a voice on a political level. I donate to their campaign. I, go, I call them on the phone because access is key. And if I can't call the mayor, then I'm probably not going to invest in your town. That's just facts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just calling it like it is. People... <laughs> So, so the other thing that, that you need to understand too, the political influence is significant, significant when you're in apartments or you're in bigger units, because what do we need? We need pot attacks. What do we need? We may need um, some abatements if we're doing a lot of construction in that town. I mean, call it what it is. You have to lean on political forces every step of the way. And they're, they're the biggest threat to messing with your cash flow. You know, when you're doing your pro forma, you know, you can't project taxes in the town going up, you know, in year five. <laughs> so uh, so I try to I try to make sure that I, I make sure that I have uh, the ability to exert political influence. Nice. And so two last questions for you. The first one, what gift are you giving the world? The gift that I'm giving the world is is gift of love, gift of myself, a gift of, of love to my fellow man. You know, um, I am a product of an inner city, product of affordable housing. What I've always wanted to do was put myself in a position where I am creating other leaders, I'm empowering other people, and through me, the, the, the network, the resources that I built belongs to everybody. It's not just mine, it's everyone's. So that's why right now, I'm literally at the position where I am looking for other people to partner with, looking for other people to join forces with, and let's get there together, as opposed 
to a part. So whatever stage of the journey you're in, what I, what I want to do is help you along the way. And even maybe you're at the stage of the journey that's way ahead of me, right? So, so I had people that I looked up to who was uh, Donald Bren. I don't know if you know who Donald Bren is. Donald Bren. Um, I look up to Herman, um, Herman Russell, Herman J. Russell out of Atlanta. Uh, passed away, God bless the dead. But definitely as a black real estate developer, the life story of Herman J. Russell, amazing. So there's a number of people I try to emulate different things that they've done because that's the path that I'm looking to get to. Awesome. <laughs> this is a great episode, guys. I hope you're taking notes, man. All right. And then the final question is, what is one thing you want people to take away from our talk? Um, just, you know, wherever you are in life, just understand that you have to, you know, it's really all about vision and, and follow through. So I just want to give, you know, somebody some hope. Maybe you're quarantined like me. And you're just like, what should I do? What should I do? Use this time to definitely practice social distancing, but use this time to come up with a vision of how you want it to be, you know, as soon as this quarantine is over, and then, which we don't know, but come up with the vision of what you want it to be then, what, it, what you want it to be next year, what you want it to be five years, and start building a network around you. Reach out to, 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 to people that can help you get there, because you can get so much further if you do it together as opposed to trying to do it by yourself. So that's really the takeaway. And that's really why I've been able to, to get to where I'm at because my dad used to always tell me, no man is an island. And I didn't know what that meant. Like, what do you mean no man is an island? Well, no man is an island because whatever you do in life, whatever it is, business, real estate, you're gonna need other people. And if you don't have other people, you're an island. So don't be an island out there. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. At no point during this episode have you said abundance, but it's coming through you and your words, right? you got the abundance mentality. You believe that there's enough for everybody. Everybody can eat. And so you're living that out through your actions, man. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome, man. I really appreciate the time, brother. I know you, I see you doing your thing, man. I'm glad I reached out to you, man. And I want to thank you for the opportunity and we'll stay connected and uh, you be safe out there. All right. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a go. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>